Well, this morning, this passage from uh, Colossians chapter 3, if you have your Bible, you might like to open up to Colossians 3. I'll be going through verses 12 through 17, and uh, you'll find an insert in your uh, bulletin. It has a bunch of blanks. It's one of my blankety-blank sermons, and uh, it's just there as a means to help you follow along or in some cases, to stay awake. Uh, I know that can be an ordeal at times. But this is just kind of a meat and potatoes kind of passage, and it it follows what uh, Jordan was talking about last week with uh, the washing of the disciples' feet by our Lord Jesus and his example of being a servant to all. And I think there are a lot of uh, strands of that in this passage. So um, I uh, hope that you will see that and that will be a uh, follow-up for you. Okay, let me see if I can make all this electronic stuff work. Um, Let's read this passage. Put on then as God's chosen ones... Holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And... Above all this, all these, put on love, which binds together, everything together in perfect harmony. As I uh, went through this passage and considered it, I came up with a few questions that it seems to me we need to ask ourselves and attempt to answer. The the first one is, how on earth uh, do heavenly-minded people act? That's our job in this uh, world in which we live. The second question is very similar to it. What does the new life look like? We have new lives in Christ. Well, what does that look like? And can people see the difference? And then the third question, it gets kind of personal. Do you want to look like a new person? Uh, Listening to Michelle uh, just a moment ago, it, it was not easy or automatic. And I don't think it is for any of us. So we need to ask these kinds of questions. Uh, Now, the first thing I want to address, there are are some basic truths. Um, uh, You are a chosen person. Out of all the people in the world, God chose certain ones to be his people. We see a verse in the Old Testament of, of God... Uh, choosing Israel, and the verse in Deuteronomy 7, 7 says Israel is a chosen people. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, but you were the fewest of all people. It is because God loves you. Why did God choose you? Why did he choose me? I don't know. He loved us. And that says something to me. That makes me pretty happy. 
as I consider that. Uh, so I'm a chosen person, but also I am a holy person. Now, that doesn't mean that I have to get up in the morning, comb my hair, and straighten my halo. Uh, that just means that God has chosen me for a particular person. He wants me to be set apart for his purposes and for his ways. And that's what holiness is all about. I don't have to prove myself. God has chosen me, and he's chosen me to be a holy person. Then the third thing I want you to get here as we start off in this passage is that you and I are dearly loved people. And in order to love, we love others, we have to know the love of God, that he loves us. And we need to be secure in that love. And oftentimes we're not because we tend to be pretty insecure people. But God chose us and set us aside to be holy, and he loves us. We're dearly loved people. I want to tell you about a person that I knew when I was serving in a church in Wisconsin. His name was Bernie Rundy, and uh, he was just a super guy, and everybody loved Bernie. Uh, one day, he was a farmer, he, he, he had... Uh, about 80 or 90 head of, of uh, dairy cows, and you know, small farm, family business, and the seed and feed man was getting ready to leave as he was making his rounds, and Bernie had made his purchases, and he was, about, he was climbing in his truck and about to pull out, and uh, he said to Bernie, hey, Bernie, you're a pretty religious guy. Uh, what's gonna happen to you when you die? We don't usually ask people those kinds of questions, but this seed salesman did, and Bernie thought about it, and he said, well, I'm a good Catholic. I'll go to purgatory, and then I'll go to heaven. The, the salesman didn't say another word. He said, okay. He got in his truck and drove away. Well, the next time he came back to sell uh, uh, materials for the farm to Bernie, he asked him the same question, and Bernie smiled, and he said, well, I'm a I'm pretty good person. I'll go to purgatory, but I'll make it to heaven. And he said, Bernie, I'd like to give you a, a copy of the New Testament to read. Would, would you read this if I gave it to you? Yeah, sure. So he handed him a copy of the New Testament. He said, start with the book of Romans. Okay. And the, the salesman left. Well, Bernie started reading the book of Romans now, I don't know how involved you get when you read the Bible, but it was just the perfect timing and God was doing something and he was walking around reading that book. And he would, he would be walking around from outbuilding to outbuilding, from milking to whatever the, other, the next chore was. And one day, this is not a joke, he literally walked into the broad side of a barn, knocked himself down. I said, Bernie, what'd you do? He said, well, I got up and dusted myself off, and I got my New Testament, and I found my place, and I started reading again. One night, he was sitting in his living room. His wife, Rhonda, found him in the living room, sitting in the dark, sitting on the couch by himself, weeping. And I said, Rhonda, what, what did you think was going on with Bernie? 
And she says, she's just this matter-of-the-fact uh, farm lady. She says, oh, I thought he was having a nervous breakdown. <laughs> and uh, so the, the seed and, and, uh, feed and seed guy came around again not, not too much later, pulled up and said before he left, hey, Bernie, where are you going to go when you die? And Bernie paused, and he looked at him, and he said, I'm going to go to hell. And, and the guy nodded his head, and he drove away. <laughs> what happened, Bernie? Well, he told me, later on, I was sitting in church, and it was during the communion time at the church, and I realized I didn't have to have that priest give me communion. He wasn't going to forgive my sins. I just needed to be born again, like Jesus talked about in John. And I prayed to receive Christ while sitting in the Catholic Church while people were receiving communion. Um, and he said, later, I went, I went to see the priest, and I had turned my keys in. He said, I said, what? He said, I had turned my keys in. I was the keeper of the keys. Well, what are you talking about? He said, well, we had a poker night at the church, and because I don't drink, they let me have the keys to the liquor cabinet. Uh, I have to talk to the elders about starting one of those here. I, I don't think we do that. But, uh, so the priest was not real happy with him, as you might, you might imagine. And he said to Bertie, so now you think you can live like a scoundrel and get away with it? And Bertie said, no, sir. I think we're all scoundrels. And trusting in Jesus means that I don't have to live that way anymore. And that was Bernie. I got a lot of stories about Bernie. <laughs> we have to have the, these things present and be aware of these things, that we're chosen people, holy people, loved by God, and then we can start living differently. God has granted us a new life, and if we're all honest, we don't take advantage and live the way we're supposed to live, at least as much as we should. So I want to talk about the things we need to put on. This passage, previous passage, has said take off these things and then put on these things. I heard Warren Wiersbe say, take off the grave clothes and put on the grace clothes. And I want to talk about those grace clothes uh, for the next several minutes. There's a list of them. It's a long list. There's about eight of them here. And we're going to take a look at them, putting on the grace clothes. First is we need to put on compassionate hearts. Now, I don't know if any of you grew up with the, any, a show of hands. How many people grew up with the King James Version of the Bible? Oh, God bless you, the true believers. <laughs> you know, they used, at my church, they used to say, if the, if the King James Version was good enough for the Apostle Paul, it ought to be good enough for us. 
And uh, that's what I grew up with. And it's difficult with the these and thous, I know. But that it does turn a phrase. And when it gets to this passage and talks about compassionate hearts, the King James Version says, bowels of mercy. Isn't that great? See, the, the, the bowels of mercy. Compassionate hearts. See, we talk, we talk about the seat of the, the affections. We talk about the heart, don't we? That's how we think of it. The Greeks used to go a little further down, and the seat of emotions were the bowels, you know. And sometimes when something goes on, it can affect your stomach and so forth. But uh, we need to have compassionate hearts. I don't frequently give um, dating advice, but to the younger folks, um, a a word of advice to you. If, if you are starting to get more serious and starting to um, uh, express some of those feelings that you have to that very special person, I just want you to know it's better to say, from the, the moment I saw you, I've, my heart's been all aflutter. Better to say that than to say, since I met you, I've been having bowel problems. <laughs> Just, just a word to the wise. <laughs> but a compassionate heart means to have deep feelings of concern for other people. Anybody ever struggle with compassion? I, I know I do. Being, being merciful to a, to a person in need, sometimes it's easier to say, well, they, they had it coming to them. But we need to be compassionate towards them. There, there may be a person that you eat breakfast with every day that needs you to be a little more compassionate to them. There might be some relative or a person at work or a person at school that needs to be shown some compassionate heart. And that's what we're called to do. Now, here's the second item of, oops, second and third. I'll take Don't look at the third one. Uh, uh, The second one is kindness. We are to be kind. Jesus said, my yoke is easy. Jesus was kind. And and when he talked about, you know what I'm talking about, my yoke is easy. When he talked about that, that passage in the Gospels. I, I was thinking Jesus grew up in a carpenter's workshop. He probably made a few yokes in his day. And if it was going to go on the shoulders of an ox, it needed to be carved just so, so it wasn't rough, it wasn't poking in, or there weren't knots there or splinters on that thing. It needed to be smooth and shaped in the correct way so it could be worn. My yoke is easy, said Jesus. He was kind. He was gracious. How are you with your words? Are you kind with your words? It's, it, it's hard. We let things slip out, and we say hurtful things. You know, the, the good manners your mother taught you, they can go a long way. We're to be kind. Um, George Bernard Shaw, the playwright, English playwright, remember him? Um, he had a thing with uh, Sir Winston Churchill, 
they were very often poking and prodding one another. And he was about to open a new show, and uh, he sent a messenger with an envelope to Sir Winston, uh, who opened the envelope, and inside were two tickets and a note, and the note said, here are two tickets for opening night. Bring a friend, if you have one. <laughs> Without a moment's thought, uh, he had the messenger stay, and he wrote a note, put it back in the envelope, and sent it back to uh, George Bernard Shaw and said, I'll come the second night, if you have one. We need to be kind people. Hey, men, you want to start being kind today? You can start this morning. When you leave the parking lot, let your wife get both feet in the car before you pull out. <laughs> that would be an act of kindness. You know, in Greek, krestos and Christos, one means kind, the other means Christ. Only one letter's difference between the word for kind and the word for Christ. Wouldn't it be great for us to be known as the people of kindness because we're the people of Christ? I think that's what, that would be pleasing to the Lord. And, and then that third one, humility. Put on humility. Put it on like an item of clothing. And you might think, well, you know, if I'm humble, people are going to take advantage of me. Uh, or I don't want to put myself down. Humility is not putting yourself down. It's just thinking of other people first. <clears throat> That's what humility is like. Um, I'd like to recommend a book for you. Uh, the Autobiography of uh, Benjamin Franklin. It's a great book. And uh, he wrote one about... Uh, well, a number of things, but it contains a list of virtues in it. And in the list of virtues, there were a dozen of them, and uh, there was things like industry, uh, patience, uh, determination. A lot of really good things were in there. But I, I took this from his autobiography. I wanted to share it with you. My list of virtues contained at least, uh, at first, but 12. But a Quaker friend, having kindly informed me that I was generally thought proud, that my pride showed itself frequently in conversation, that I was not content with being in the right when discussing any point, but was overbearing and rather insolent, of which he convinced me by mentioning several instances, I determined, endeavor, I determined endeavoring to cure myself if I could, of this vice or folly among the rest, and I added humility to the list, giving an extensive meaning to the word, and you can read that in his autobiography. He goes on to list some of the ways he, he used to fight humility in his own life, and then he ends with this paragraph. In reality, there is perhaps no one of our natural passions so hard to subdue as pride disguise it, struggle with it, beat it down, stifle it, mortify it as much as one pleases, it is still alive and will every now and then peep out and show itself. You will see it perhaps often in this history, the book he was writing. For even 
If I could conceive that I had completely overcome it, I should probably be proud of my humility. And boy, I thought that is just the way it is. Philippians 2.8, speaking of Jesus, says that he humbled himself. Jesus, the Lord of glory, humbled himself and became obedient even unto death, death on a cross. Humility, and then four, the fourth item of the eight, meekness or gentleness. The biblical understanding of this word is power under control. Another word of advice, a serious one, to the men out here in the, in the auditorium today, sanctuary today. Women will almost always list a character trait that they admire and want in a man is gentleness. They want a gentle man. You know, you can see this idea of power under control. You can see it in the animal kingdom. I'm sure you've seen videos of a, a big dog, like a pit bull, or uh, some other could be very vicious dog, and there's a baby sitting there, and the baby's grabbing its lip and pulling it up, or poking it on the nose, battering it around the eyes, and the dog just sits there. A dog that could probably... Uh, rip a man's arm off is totally under control and he's gentle or she's gentle with that little child. That's the picture I think of when I think of meekness or gentleness. Fifth item of clothing is patience. Well, we all pretty much know what patience is. The question is, do we do it? Do we live it? We don't generally like being patient but we're, we're told to put on patience. And then we're told to bear grievances against each other. We're to be bearing grievances against each other. Who irritates you? Oh, no, no pointing, no pointing. Spouses sitting next to each other, keep your elbows to yourself. But think about it. Make it real. You surely have somebody besides me, that's irritating you in your life right now. So, bear up with that. And then, I guess it goes right along with it, forgiving sins. Forgive sins against you. Because people will sin against you, and you will sin against others. How, how, do, you, how do you forgive? We talk about forgiving and forgetting. We say, I'll forgive, but I'll never forget, you know, those kinds of things, which kind of indicates you haven't really forgiven with that kind of an attitude. Well, here's some things to think about. If you're forgiving someone for something they've done, don't bring it up to the person. You don't need to march up to them and say, you know, I've forgiven you. You, it, you don't need to do that. And you certainly don't need to tell anybody else about it people that have sinned against you that, you that you're forgiving. And I would say, don't even mull it over in your own mind. Don't go there. 
I was thinking of Clara Barton, the founder of the Red Cross. When someone did her, I don't even know what the, the thing was, but someone did a great grievance or great harm to her. And her friend and coworker said, said, Clara, I can't, you didn't say anything. And Clara responded, what? That, don't you remember that grievance, that terrible thing that he did to you? And this was her response. No, I don't remember what it was, but I definitely remembering to forget it. Uh, it's kind of a mind game, I guess, but we need to forget these things and move on. And then the eighth thing is love. Overall, wrap this all up with love. It's almost like taking a belt around a robe and tying it tight so the belt stays cinched. Or you might think of it in this colder winter we've been having here in Virginia, putting on an overcoat and buttoning it up all around you. Now, I don't know how many of these eight things you might remember, but you can always remember love. When you stand up, when you raise up from prayer, just let it be there between you and the Lord that you're saying, Lord, let me love people. Fill me with your love. Let me love other people as Jesus loved them. And if you do that, if I do that, we'll be making great strides forwards. Well, there were a number of, of things here uh, that we're to, to uh, do. One was putting on the love of Christ, and we had all these things like garments. Second thing is to let the peace of Christ rule in our, in our lives. Colossians 3.15 says, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. To rule, to let the peace of Christ rule, really is an athletic term which kind of reminds one of an umpire. Let Christ be the umpire in difficulties in your life. In other words, let Christ and his teaching rule over you when there's a controversy or difficulty. I think about a baseball game. And, and the batter has hit one deep to center field. Center fielder can't get there in time. It bounces off the fist. fifth. He's rounding second. The second baseman has recovered the ball, and he's throwing it to the cutoff man. The shortstop gets it, and he turns to throw it to the catcher. By this time, the runner is rounded third. He's coming in. He's going to slide into home. The catcher is there. He's dropped down on one knee. The ball's coming in. You have the runner. You have the, ump you have the umpire behind them, and then you have the catcher. And you know who the most important person in that scene is? The umpire. Because he will make a determination of whether the runner is safe or out. And in our lives, and in our relationships with others, we need to have Jesus be the umpire and realize, realize that he is the most important person in a conflict or a controversy. Who makes the call in your life? 
Who does make the call in your life? At work or in school? Or even just during these difficult economic times? And from what I'm hearing in the news, they're going to get worse. Who's going to make the call? Who's going to make the determination? Who's going to be the empire of your life, in your life? Here's one that hits a lot of us. How about in our marriages? Who's going to be the umpire in our marriages? It needs to be Jesus. There are two essentials for peace. We're, one, we're, we are members of one body. That's what the text says. We're all members of one body, and we need each other. And it's so important to have other believers in our lives. But you know what the difficulty is? It's sort of like two porcupines on a cold winter night in the Canadian north. It's so cold they need the heat from one another, but as they snuggle up next to each other, those pesky quills keep poking the other one. And that's the way we are too. We need the help and the warmth of fellowship in our lives, but we keep poking people as we get close together. It doesn't just go away. And so we're like that, but we are members of one body. That's where I go back to kindness. That's where that comes into play again. Remember that we're members of one body and we're to be thankful. We are to be thankful. We had a little dog. His name was Gizmo. Got him in Florida. Drug him to Colorado. Drug him to Wisconsin. Back to Florida. Love that little guy. I yelled at him more than I should have. But he, he went blind, and uh, he couldn't hear so well either. And then he had the arthritis so bad he couldn't hop up on the couch like he used to so easily. And he would yelp at times, and nothing happened. He, just, he was just hurting. And the time came when uh, my wife and I decided it was time to put him down for his own sake. And so we did that. My wife cried. Um, if you ask her about that, she'll say, yeah, he was bawling like a baby, too. <laughs> and for 17 years, something like that. Yeah. Something we didn't realize, we were living in Florida at the time, and the the weather down there is, the weatherman's job in Florida is really easy. Tomorrow's going to be hot and humid. And the day after that will be hot and humid. And that's what it was down there. And you know, that is the perfect breeding ground for fleas. So when Gizmo left us abruptly, he didn't take all of his fleas with him. And I finally referred to this as uh, Gizmo's revenge. <laughs> we had fleas everywhere. Uh, biting us on our feet and ankles, and we took us so long to get rid of those fleas. It'd be hard to be thankful for fleas, but I read in the book about, uh, called The Hiding Place by Corey Tenboom. Uh, Corey, because of her uh, help of Jews escaping Germany, 
was taking it herself into a concentration camp. And they were talking about being thankful in all situations, and she said to Betsy, her sister, who was there with her, who died in the concentration camp, how can we be thankful for this lice-infected barracks we live in? It's horrible all the time. They're in our clothes, they're in our bed, they're in our hair. And she realized that the, the Nazi guards would not come back to where they were at because they didn't want to get the lice on themselves. So they had a lot of privacy to pray and read the Bible and to encourage one another. And they became truly thankful for living in a lice-infected environment. I thought that was really amazing. And if you can be thankful for that, you can be thankful for just about any difficulty in life, I think. Well, that was Corey Ten Boom. That's another book I would recommend, The Hiding Place. After you finish uh, uh, Benjamin Franklin's autobiography. Number three, we are indwelt with the word of Christ. This is what our new lives are like. 316 of Colossians. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. We're to be filled with, indwelt with the word of Christ, the word of God, the Bible, all refers to the same thing. And I remember this diagram that I saw once, I think is wonderful. The, there's the hand. We're to hear the word. We're to read the word. We're to study the word. We are to memorize the word. And then finally, we are to meditate on the word. And I was looking at this diagram, and it occurred to me that all five of these are good things. But when you're using a grip, that thumb is what really gives your grip strength. If you want to right now, if you have a Bible or some other item in your lap, pick it up using just four fingers without your thumb. You can't get much, be careful, don't drop your Bible on the floor. Uh, you can't get much of a grip on it. You notice I picked up one piece of paper, not my whole Bible. But if we have that meditation in our life, it's like the strength of the Word of Christ, the Word of God, the Bible in our lives. And so I want to recommend to you these five things. Hear, read, study, memorize, and meditate. And you'll see scriptures that refer to, you can find multiple scriptures on these throughout the Bible about how we're to handle it. God's word dwells in us richly as we teach and admonish others. Admonish, I don't use that word very often. It really means encourage. Does anyone need encouragement here? I do. I need encouragement. And we need to be encouraging one another. When I'm dead and gone, I don't want people to think of me as that grumpy old guy. I want to say, yeah, you know, Lanny was an encourager. He used to encourage people. Be that kind of person. 
That's what Jesus wants for you. Be an encourager. And when God's word dwells in you, you'll have something worth sharing and something worth singing about. We do everything in the name of Christ, and that's Roman numeral 5, and another scripture here, the last verse. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. What does this mean, the name of Jesus? We finish prayers that way, don't we? In Jesus' name, amen. What does that mean? Is it just the word Jesus? I mean, is it like, and so we close our prayer, abracadabra. You know, it's not magic. What does the name of Christ mean? Well, it's everything, it's praying according to the power and the purpose and the promise of Jesus Christ. That's what in Jesus' name means, at least from my way of thinking about it. We need, <clears throat> excuse me, we need to keep the power and purpose and promise of Jesus very much aware in our minds. Not just when we pray or finish a prayer, but in everything. Imagine three men working in a huge quarry. It's hot. They're three guys, they got their shirts off and they're dirty from the dust and dirt on their face and they're sweating and they're tired and they're, they've got their hammers and their chisels and they're working on this granite or quartz or whatever it is they're chiseling in this quarry. And, and you ask the first guy, what are you doing? And he says, what's it look like? I'm chiseling a stone. You go to the next guy and you say, what are you doing? And he says, well, I'm earning a paycheck. Then you go to a third guy and say, what are you doing? And he turns and he wipes off his face and he lays down his hammer and his chisel and he says, I'm building a cathedral to the glory of God. What a difference. What a difference it would make in your attitude throughout the day if that was your focus and that was your purpose. In the name of Christ. Do it every, just two things, only two things, everything you do and everything you say. <laughs> do it in the name of Christ, in the name of Jesus. Okay, so here's, here's the question to you. See, I think it's a good question. After a sermon, to ask the question, so what? So what, Lanny? I listened to you. Now, so what? It's a good question. So I'm going to help you. Number one, you're not going to have time to do this all right now, although maybe you could. Real fast. The name of one person towards whom you will act in the love of Christ this coming week. You know, what's the point of the sermon if we're not going to do anything about it? Number two, one decision where you need the rule of the peace of Christ. You need Christ as the umpire in this decision that you're in the process of making. And number three, one believer, it doesn't have to be a believer actually, one person with whom you can share the word of Christ. You see, this is where admonishment comes in, that is encouraging comes in. What's one person that you could encourage? And number four, one place where you will begin acting in the name of Christ. What's one place where you'll start acting 
It might be in one relationship, or it might be in the workplace. You might say, you know, I haven't really been acting like a Christian there. I've just been keeping my head down, staying out of trouble, and getting my job done. Yeah, but you're building a cathedral to the glory of God. Think about that. Okay. I, I'm about done here. And everyone said, hey, man, brother. But I've got to be serious for a minute. I, I need to make a confession this morning to all of you. It's hard for me to say this, but I am not a jogger. I know you might have trouble believing that, but it's true. I hope it doesn't shock you too much. I don't jog. I've seen people who jog. I never have made sense. I don't know why anybody would want to run when nobody's chasing them. <laughs> but some people jog and they say, oh, it gives me great fun. Have you ever looked at a jogger? They're, they have no danger of getting bugs in their teeth. They are not smiling. You look at a jogger, they're sweating. And, and their jaw is set. And, and sometimes it looks like there's, you can see the pain in their face. It's real. I mean, it's hard. And sometimes they pull up lame. Oh, they get a muscle cramp. Or sometimes they bend over and, you know, those bowels of mercy take over. And, Whoa. You know, I didn't need to say that. that. I decided to say that now so my wife won't have to tell me that later. But anyway, I'm sorry. Back to the jogging. There's something else about joggers. Sometimes I look and I see they got headphones on or the little earbuds in. And I thought, man, you know what? That's a picture of the Christian life. It's hard. It's difficult. It can be painful. And it's keeping going day after day. It's hard to be a Christian. But if your mind and your heart are tuned into the things of God, man, you can keep going. You can call on that strength. And that's what God is asking us to do. Tune into Him. And even though in this earthly life there's pain, there's sweat, and yeah, even tears, we can hang in there. We can keep going because we have a new life in Jesus. And we've taken off the grave clothes and we've put on the grace clothes. And we're living for him and with him and in him. Our hearts, our minds, our focus on the things of God. And he keeps us going. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. It speaks to us. It encourages us. Sometimes it corrects us, and that can be hard. But I, I just pray that you'll help us to pay attention to you and what you would say to us. I pray that the Holy Spirit would have freedom in our lives to focus our thoughts on things from your word that we might be encouragers of one another that we might want to share words, or even as this praise team guides us, sing songs of praise to you. 
I ask again, I've asked it once, but I ask that we might bring joy to you, Father, and that we might praise you in our lives. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.